Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Our guest today, Mitch Light of The Athletic. We will talk Vanderbilt hoops and football. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spy-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. Mitch Light appears today on our guest line. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Vanderbilt travels to the O'Connell Center in Gainesville, Florida for a game with the Gators. Wednesday night tip-off will be 5.30 Central. Mitch Light joins us with The Athletic, where he is a college football editor. Mitch, thanks for joining us. Hope you are doing well. This will be a mostly football-centered podcast today. We will get into the offensive hires for Vanderbilt. We'll touch on some hoops in the mailbag, but I want to start off with this. Was the Josh Heupel hire at Tennessee surprising to you? Yes, it was. Uh, you know, his name kind of surfaced last night um, as a potential guy, and obviously the connection to Danny White. And, and you never know how how difficult the job is to fill. Um, like, obviously, this is Tennessee's not hiring from a position of strength right now, with the uh, kind of the state of the program, the sanctions, all that stuff. Um, but you know, all it does is take one promising coach to say yes, and then no one cares, but evidently that wasn't the case. You know, they'll never admit it publicly, but it sounds like they, they, you know, Heupel was kind of far down the list there. Um, like Heupel would, Josh Heupel probably would, you know, if I was Candace Lee called me one day and said, admit you can hire Vanderbilt's next football coach. I don't think Josh Heupel would have been in my top 10. Um, you know, uh, he, he checked some of the boxes for Tennessee and offensive coach, um, but it's it's accurate, but maybe not the, that fair to say, you know, UCF has been trending every 
in the wrong direction. That's again, I'd say maybe not fair because they were 12 and 0 or whatever it was his first year. So you, you can't sustain that, but they, you know, they clearly were trending in the wrong. So he's an interesting background. He got fired as offensive coordinator from his alma mater, Oklahoma kind of uh, resuscitated and was kind of a little bit of a surprising hire when UCF hired him, but he defeated in his first year. And, and again, they continue to win. So, um, it's going to be a popular hire with the majority of the fan base. The program is right now. Um, you know, Tony Elliott was a guy that if they swung and missed on some of their top guys, it made sense. I don't know if um, if uh, Lance Leipold was was interested, but I would have hired him over uh, if, if Danny White was going back to his recent past. I would have hired him over Josh Heupel. But, you, you know, we talk about this all the time, Chris, when we went over the Vanderbilt search. It's you just never know with these things. Um, I thought of Tennessee's hires. I thought Butch Jones on paper was a good hire. I didn't think Derek Dooley was a good hire, and I didn't think uh, um, Jeremy Pruitt was a good hire. Um, so, uh, you know, again, we'll find out over the next few years, but clearly Tennessee not hiring a position of strength right now. Well, yes, the probation hurt them from what I was told. I know that they uh, – or it's believed that they spoke to James Franklin, and that was a thing for – Maybe a day, uh, but that didn't happen. But again, the probation, I think, scared some people off. So there's that. But what are the ethics on a newly hired AD bringing his coach with him? I mean, that's not – I don't think that's a move that I've heard too often. No, Scott Strickland waited a year before he took – Dan Mullen with Florida after Mississippi in college athletics. Um, if I don't honestly don't think a lot of UCF fans probably all that upset if he was a kind of a rock star and he took Scott Frost, that would be one thing. So, um, you know, I, I would love to get some truth serum on, on Danny White. And when he got the job, if you said, will you hire Josh Heupel? What, what his thoughts were at the time. Um, so it, it's, I, I've seen people ask that question and I don't, I don't really know if unethical is the right word. It just doesn't happen very often, obviously, because just the way circumstances, uh, you know, uh, present themselves. But uh, definitely interesting. Let's talk Vanity. Since you and I did a podcast, it appears that Arizona Cardinals assistant David Rye is going to be the offensive coordinator. Joey Lynch at Colorado State, who was the offensive coordinator there, is coming on the staff too. I was a little surprised that Rye was the coordinator and Lynch not. That's how it's been reported. I guess we will wait and see how it is announced. What's your thoughts on those two coming to Vanderbilt? Yeah, I mean, the, the, is it? It's David Rye. Is that how you pronounce it? By the way, yes, it's it's spelled R A I H, but apparently it is pronounced Rye R Y E. Yeah, I mean, not a guy that was on anybody's radar, I don't think. I mean, honestly, I'd never heard of him. Um, very familiar with Joey Lynch in, in his career at, at Ball State and, uh, you know, respected offensive guy and did, did actually did a good job at the quarterback position um, at Ball State. The last two, Riley Neal, obviously, who came to Vanderbilt, but then Drew Pill, Pill is his name? I forgot his name, something like that. They've had really good quarterback play. Um, I know he wasn't at Ball State last year. So, you know, it's just one of those that Clark Lee and – there's something about Rye, obviously, that he likes and he wants. And I kind of said at the beginning that um, be interesting to see if, you know, um, ben, if Lee went for the kind of the young, unproven coordinator 
maybe bring some new fresh ideas or maybe a guy like Denbrock who he interviewed from Cincinnati and you might know more about it than me, whether or not that was Vanderbilt moved on or Denbrock decided he didn't want to come. So uh, it's just kind of a wait and see attitude there. Uh, wait and see approach. I mean, with him. And it, like you said, it's kind of interesting that Lynch is a guy that has had play calling experience um, at two different stops in college. And I get Rye has not, he's been with uh, Texas tech was his last college job. So yeah, out of all the staff, everything's made a lot of sense from the staff. Um, but the Rye is uh, definitely a curveball. So we'll just, you know, wait and see. Well, Rye certainly makes an impression on people. I cannot remember where the article was written, so I apologize for not giving credit where it is due. But this is the guy who has walked in with no connection, sight unseen, to two coaches at their press conference and gotten hired for jobs. Uh, He was a pharmaceutical sales guy, so I would presume that between that and his ability to sell himself blindly <laughs> that he can make some sort of an impression of recruiting that he's a bright guy. I think he is married to some sort of reality TV star who's got uh, connections to Nashville in some way, but it is a very interesting situation. I'm anxious to see how that plays out because I don't think he's ever called plays before. Uh, so with that, um, I guess there's a few things there to address if you want to, but specifically how problematic is it to get a guy calling plays if that's what he does, uh, who hasn't done that before? Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I've always said that it's better to, you know, I'd prefer to hire someone who has that experience, who's kind of lived in the, lived in that with the action. That's a, it's a skill set. You know, you, you can be a really good offensive mind and, and that's one thing, but being able to, call the plays five seconds, you know, you don't have much time to think about it. Um, but everyone has to have their first time. Does it need to be in the SEC at Vanderbilt? Obviously not. Um, you know, if, if uh, Clark thought that that was vital, he wouldn't have hired him as his offensive coordinator. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely when you're trying to check your boxes, that's one that's not checked that he is, doesn't have experience. I guess Clark does know him. Uh, didn't they work maybe UCLA one year? He was an unpaid intern or something like that for one year. So, I kind of like if if you Clark Lee's obviously a smart guy knows what he wants and and you know if, if you, you you believe in Clark I think you just kind of give him the benefit of the doubt if like you don't believe in the head coach then maybe you question everything he does and so far Clark Lee has done nothing to suggest he doesn't know what you know doesn't know what he's doing that's not the best way to say it but you, you know what I'm saying and so uh, we benefit the doubt that that uh, that Rye is what he's looking for. With Lynch, and I think folks on this podcast know, I have a niece who plays basketball at Colorado State. Uh, she is friends with several players. What's that? I said you were Mr. Mountain West. That, that's right, I am. Um, she has several friends on the football team. My in-laws live out there, about 20 minutes from that campus. Uh, my brother-in-law has been a high school football assistant coach played college football, so they are really tied into that market out there um, and, and know football. But what I have been told uh, is that he's a bright mind. He gets the ball to kids in space. He's well-liked. That, that's very unscientific, right? And I just told you yeah. kind of where my knowledge is coming from. Uh, but I, I was texting with my brother-in-law as soon as that went public on Saturday night and asking him, 
And his response was pretty immediately that he thought that was a good hire. Take that for its worth, what it's worth. It's not an expert opinion, uh, but a little bit of inside angle there, and that was the perception. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's well well respected in the football community. His dad was the head coach. Bill Lynch was the head coach at Ball State in Indiana. I believe he's at Ball State, but he's in Indiana. I remember when they hired him, I did a lot of reading on the program, and, and um, you know, they were really, really struggling, and, and New has done a good job offensively. They won the league this year. Obviously, Lynch wasn't there this year, but Lynch played a big role in developing those quarterbacks I mentioned earlier. Uh, Steve Adazio, he went with Steve Adazio to Colorado. Out of state wasn't the smoothest year. A lot of offseason controversy with some of their COVID protocols with that, with with Adazio there. But uh, yeah, I think a, a respected a respected guy. And if he's just the quarterback, I guess he's the passing game coordinator. You know, to to get a Mountain West offensive coordinator, um, you know, seems seems like a pretty good hire. Yeah, Adazio has a strange situation out there, and frankly, sounds like he's a bit of a jerk. Yeah, he is. You know, he had a couple decent years at Temple, goes to BC, went like seven and six every year at BC, and evidently got people were surprised in the industry that Colorado State hired him. Um, and supposedly just got the job because Urban Meyer knows someone and said, Yeah, he's I like Steve Adazio because Adazio used to be a Meyer assistant there. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think is Steve Adazio going to be the head coach of Colorado State in four years? My guess is no. Yeah, there was an interesting thing on his Wikipedia bio where somebody had written, I think, that he had installed the cream puff offense or something like that in 2015. It was very amusing. Uh, but, you know, sometimes an offensive coordinator has his hands tied by a head coach, and so uh, that might be something to consider too. Yeah, I mean, their, their numbers weren't good this year, but I wouldn't read into that. They played four games, I think, in you know weird situation. Uh, the Mountain West among – you know, it was one of those leagues like the Pac-12 that said we're not playing and came back at a late juncture. And so, um, yeah, I wouldn't read too much into stuff going on there. Yeah, they don't have a lot of offensive talent either. They've got a tight end who's pretty good and a receiver who's pretty good. They don't have much of a running game. Uh, it was not an ideal situation in terms of weapons he had to work with. Yeah, and their quarterback, I don't uh, – Danny O'Brien – not Danny O'Brien, that's the former Maryland kid. O'Brien – um, just grad transferred to Washington. In fact, I don't know if he played much this year or if he was hurt, but he's uh, he had a Patrick O'Brien had a decent career out there, uh, but just grad transferred to Washington. So they've got what two spots left on the staff now? I, yeah. I think so. I don't yeah. know where they go with those, but assuming that um, mentor coaches defensive backs, it looks like they got a linebacker spot and then maybe a DB slash safety, you know, sometimes you split it up and with 10 assistants. Now you can be a little more creative, uh, like for a part on Derek Mason's staff, Mark Mattioli was secondary coach. Part of it, he was just safeties coach. So there's different ways, obviously with two defensive line coaches, there, there's different ways you can, um, like, and maybe, you know, maybe mentor has a guy that he's bringing. We don't know, you know, mentor's name was, was not there until right after the Ravens played. So uh, I'm sure they'll, they'll get that sorted out soon enough. Well, what was interesting in that is that right from the start, there were two names from Notre Dame that everybody thought would be coming. Uh, one was Lance um, – oh, good grief, the offensive coordinator, the guy that's from Birmingham. Taylor. Lance Taylor. Taylor, yes, thank you. A lot of people speculated he'd be the offensive coordinator. Obviously, that did not happen. And I think what's the guy's name, Nick Lazinski, the linebackers 
Well, it was speculated that he might coach linebackers at Vanderbilt. He's an analyst there, but yeah, that one is not materialized either uh, as we speak. So I don't know where that one's going. I, I would presume that if it was happening, it would have happened. But that was interesting that those were two names immediately that people speculated. Uh, he has not brought anybody from Notre Dame to this point. Yeah, and just don't know the situation. Um they're asked, didn't weren't interested, weren't asked because, like we, like you said, Chris, it's just all media speculation, and amazingly, that's not always accurate. Well, this thing with coordinators went nineteen different directions. It seemed like, I mean, there was a constant, oh, you know, this is the the candidate, or this is who they're looking at, and it just seemed like those names would go by the board um every every couple days and then all of a sudden just bam out of the blue here's their hires names that nobody had heard yeah it's just i i I don't and we don't know the inside how the workings of how how all the stuff uh materializes but it's clear that clark was extremely thorough in his coordinator hires like interview you know sitting down interviewing like i don't did he fly to seattle to to interview canales but i know you know he had denbrook brock in here it wasn't just like, hey, I know you. Let's get on the phone for 30 minutes and offer you the job. You know, we've I've talked a lot about, and I'm sure you have. This, you know, he was kind of afforded this a lot more time than normal most transitions because the early signing period, be, all that being done, and COVID. Um, you know, uh, school starting later, kids not showing up. It was just he, he, he had the opportunity to be really thorough. And it sounds like he took advantage of it because most times, you know, you've got your your your, your coordinators, you're not flying around the country actually sitting down interviewing people. You're just kind of talking to people you know from around, if that makes sense. The two things I would like to know are what happened with Denbrock, one. Number two, if they had timed it differently with Canales, because what I had heard was Dave Canales wanted the job, and then suddenly the Seahawks fire Schottenheimer I think he thinks he's going to get a job. He doesn't get it. If you had to go back and do that with a different timeline, knowing what Canales knows now that he's not going to get that job, I wonder if that plays out differently. I mean, just baseless speculation. Well, not baseless, because, again, I had been told uh, that he wanted the job. Clark Lee went up there, I think, to watch the playoff game maybe and interview him. So there was obviously some interest. It would be interesting to know, uh, you used the word truth serum earlier, uh, you know, coaches are never going to be honest about that, uh, that they were turned down or, or whatever. There's kind of a protect everybody mentality there. But it would be interesting to know if that plays out differently if circumstances are different. Yeah, I, I, we all we can do is speculate. Um, it seems like if Canales really wanted the job and Clark Lee was that interested in him that Canales could come back to him and say, hey, I didn't get this job. You understand, you know, it's often coordinator position in the NFL that if, if he was still a top guy, that they could have gone back to him. But maybe Ray, Ray, Ray whatever, uh, I'll get it. Before the first game, I'll get it down his name. But, uh, you know, maybe maybe he was a guy that Clark liked all along. So, you know, uh, maybe we'll find out when they introduce these guys at a press conference. You never know how straightforward the, the coaches will be about the hiring process. But it's been, it's been interesting to, to, to monitor, no doubt. Well, if it makes you feel better, I've written R-Y-E here in caps on my paper so that I don't screw it up. So um, for whatever reason, I've had a yeah, I just, had the yips with I that just, name too. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Let's go ahead and go to what's going to be a basketball-centric mailbag. That is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of your insurance needs. Call him today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshmintonhq or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Dor King would like to know, how does Vanderbilt basketball get out of the hole it is in? Oh, that's a <laughs> – I wish I had the answer. Uh, win more games, recruit better players. Um, I mean, clearly the program is, is in a funk right now, um, and I don't want to keep repeating myself. I find it myself having a difficult time really evaluating this team this year. Clearly the on-the-court product hasn't been great, but I don't think any of us could really understand what the practice on and off the start stop, things, how much that's affected, and some injuries to some of the young players. Um, and I don't want to rehash all this, the bad luck that Vanderbilt has had, but it's staggering. Like I have the NBA uh, league pass just because my son and I watch the Brooklyn Nets all the time. And just the other night I was flipping back and forth to watching Aaron Neesmith play starter minutes in the second quarter, Saban Lee playing um, uh, minutes in the second quarter of a win over Philadelphia for Detroit. Then I've, and, then, and Darius Garland, all three guys in the, the same night, I was flipping around watching them. You look at that and you say, oh, that's got to be a program that's won a lot of games recently. Well, hasn't won a lot of games recently. We all know part of the reason for that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's clearly not not an ideal time right now for Vanderbilt basketball. Um, you know, we can, you know, what's the answer? Like I said, just, you know, maybe more continuity uh, among the current roster and, better recruiting. I mean, it's just kind of the obvious things when things aren't going well. Uh, what, what you can point to is better players, better coaching, better everything. Here's an interesting what if, and I mean, that seems to be all we have these days. Go back to a different time and place where guys aren't all leaving after their freshman year. Let's say you get Garland, Neesmith, and Saban Lee playing together for three to four years. Holy cow, what does that look like? Yeah, no doubt about it. And a lot of programs can say that. A lot of programs lose guys. True. But, uh, and, you know, I hate to say Neesmith was bad luck that he was so good. You know, when he showed up on campus, we all thought that he would be a four-year player, um, a really good college player. Didn't, didn't really, uh, you know, thought he had NBA potential, but couldn't have imagined that he would leave after a sophomore year and be a first-round pick. This is just an interesting side note. I, I work closely with Bill Landis, my uh, our Ohio State writer at the Athletic. He writes mostly football, but he, uh, he covered Ohio State basketball for a while. And, um, so he got to know – he knows um, – I'm drawing a blank. Jake Diebler. Yeah, Diebler. He knew Diebler from before when he was a, a, a grad assistant or whatever the position was at uh, Ohio State. And when Diebler came back, he said, um, uh, Bill asked him about Garland. He said, yeah, Garland's good, but watch this Neesmith guy. Uh, you know, he's going to be incredible. So it's just, it was funny to, to hear that because um, we, we knew the previous staff was high on him, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it that um, Vanderbilt has it's been some self-inflicted stuff, but just, you know, quite frankly, just some bad luck with injuries and, and, and you know, guys leaving early, earlier than we thought. You know, Saban Lee's a guy that uh, I thought he made a mistake leaving early. I mean, who am I to tell him what to do? But clearly he's, 
he's good enough to play in the NBA. He found a good situation for him, and and he's he's going to be a, a I think an NBA player for the next you know six eight years or whatever. He's 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 exceeded expectations already. Well, two of the first red flags with the Stackhouse hire to me were apparently they did not spend a lot of time pursuing a grad school angle for Yanni Wetzel. Now, look, this is speculative. I don't know if he would have gotten in or not, but that's a kid who could have helped them immensely a year ago. Yes. Uh, the other one was Diebler, and I think Diebler would have gone to Ohio State anyway, but my understanding at first is there was interest in his part on staying. I don't think there was a lot of follow-through there, maybe till the last minute. Uh, by that point, Ohio State had swooped in, but the one thing that you heard consistently, and I bet you heard this too, through all the stuff with that staff and not having experience or not being a good mix or whatever, the one constant you heard was Diebler was really good and a rising star and a guy that you should try to keep around. And, uh, you know, I think that – and look, Keon Johnson is not a really mature kid, but I think if they keep Diebler, they had a shot at Keon Johnson. They might have been in the driver's seat with that one when Drew left, and I don't know, that's one of those things to me that I've not been real bullish on the hire from the beginning. You know, some things I've kept to my vest, uh, some things I've not, but stuff like that, when everybody liked and respected Diebler, and that was an opportunity they had, and oh, by the way, he had some momentum with some players, and you look what they brought in, uh, not a lot of talent that I can see. Uh, That's one that just was kind of a no-brainer uh, for them to make more of an effort on, and, and they just didn't seem to do that. Yeah, you you know more about that specific situation than me. Although I do know that Diebler was you know was well respected and is well respected assistant coach. I think he'll be a head coach at some point in, in his career. So, yeah, um, uh, you know it was it was an outside the box hire that hasn't worked out so far. And um, I saw someone tweet recently. It was just like what happens when you hire an athletic director who doesn't know anything about college basketball is he hires a, or, you know, college athletics, he hires a coach who doesn't know enough about college basketball. And, um, you know, there's, there's time to turn around, but right now, you know, it has not been a, uh, a productive year two on any front. Well, I, I know we don't want the podcast to go on too long today because we both got stuff to do, but there's an unexplored chapter there later that we'll probably get to yeah. in an episode down the road. Maybe it'll be with you or someone else, but just some some things there that just, uh, to me, were not good process. But anyway, Ann Arbordor asks, in terms of basketball recruiting, the pendulum has swung from a rival's 2018 ranking of number six in the nation and number one in the SEC, to 52 in 2019, which was the ninth-highest rated SEC team, 57th the next year, which was 11th in the SEC, and 72 for 2021, which is 12th in the league. Two-thirds of the 18 class left for the NBA after one year, and the third left for the NBA after two years, which has undoubtedly impacted roster stability where should Vanderbilt expect to routinely rank in the recruiting rankings to avoid having uncompetitive talent and yet able to keep players from leaving for the pros before their four years of eligibility are up? He said, I'm looking for a range nationally and SEC. I thought that Kevin Stallings was a very good recruiter for Vanderbilt. Um, I think I mentioned this in the last pod. Like I thought he had that sweet spot of mostly top 125 kids 
with a few top 75 sprinkled in and then really hit the jackpot with, with John Jenkins for the most part. I guess Jeffrey Taylor was top 50, but he kind of kind of a unique situation. So I thought that was in, you know, uh, we don't need to revisit the whole Kevin Stallings era. I was a big Kevin Stallings fan. I thought at the time, the, the time was right for the uh, a divorce, uh, but I thought he got a lot out of his talent, a very good offensive coach. So if you, if you believe in your coaching staff, I think you can be, win a lot of games and be very successful at Vanderbilt with top 100 ish recruits for the most part. Uh, I'll say top 35 classes, top eight in the SEC. Again, if you believe in, in your in your program and your culture and all that, um, so I think that's I think that's where Vanderbilt could and should be. There's no reason for Vanderbilt. You know, you, we can talk about the challenges in football and all that stuff, and we can talk about the uh, the advantages and the the program that Tim Corbin's built and why they recruit the way they do. I think basketball is a program that should should be able to recruit at a fringe top 25, top 35 level. Um, and be consistently competitive. You know, I, I don't know if this is the right range, but Vanderbilt went to seven NCAA tournaments in 11 years uh, up and uh, through Bryce Drew's first season. I'm not saying Vanderbilt should be a tournament team every year, but um, it should not be where the program is now. For quite frankly, no no Power Five program should be the state that Vanderbilt's in right now, where that's three years in a row uh, flirting with winless seasons. I know Vanderbilt rallied late last year and won three games and played well down the stretch, but this is a unprecedented dip for the program. My answer to that would be, I think nationally they should live in the 20 to 40 range, which probably puts you middle of the pack in the league. Now, occasionally you're going to jump up and have a 17 or 18 type of class like Kevin did a few times. Uh, sometimes you're going to be maybe in the 60s or 70s where you have a year where you've only got one or two scholarships to fill and maybe you miss on a big target or things happen. But I think you live in that range, and that's where Kevin was most of his time. Say what you want about Kevin. Being out there and working hard was not an issue. No, the time it was was when he was going to watch his son play a lot of baseball at UNC, and it cost him. You saw that those were the Kyle Fuller years where their talent dipped. They didn't have a lot of shooters. I think there was a direct correlation, maybe I'm wrong, between Kevin not being out there uh, and those classes dipping. As someone said to me at the time, uh, people want to talk to the head coach. Uh, but anyway, I thought that Kevin, other than that little spell, did a pretty good job. And, and frankly, Mitch, uh, other than the first few years of his career, Kevin's teams were always in the NCA or NIT or one year from it. Uh, and I think there's a lot to be said for floor that was underappreciated that they've got to get back. Yes, totally. That's a good way of saying it. The floor was always pretty high. Um, and, and, you know, I, this has nothing necessarily to do with Kevin. Well, it does have something to do with Kevin Stallings. Uh, college basketball is a tournament sport. I get it. But uh, I think we, and you never want to lose three straight years as a, as a, high C that, you know, that's not acceptable, but his career was judged too harshly in my opinion, both locally and nationally by some tournament, uh, failures. And again, that's, it's a tournament sport. You're, you're, you're paid to win games in the tournament, but he had some, he had some really good regular seasons that were really tarnished by you know, a bad game at the wrong time. Yeah. You give him a tournament win here or there, or maybe an SEC regular season title. I think that was my bigger thing. It wasn't as much the tournament. It's that they've never won the league regular season. Uh, you know, a little break here or there. I mean, look, I think Kevin was in the process of burning the bridges anyway. And, and 
you know, people can say what they want about a guy's record. You've got to work with the guy, right? And that was hard for people to deal with. Uh, but yes, I, to your point, I, I think there's something there. Yeah, and um, you get one bounce or one rebound against Murray State. Um, you win that game. That was a really good team. You get an extra, you know, the it's kind of fun to talk about. So it's not like we're just trying to rehash old stuff. But uh, you know, I I always go back to the Wisconsin game. Uh, Vanderbilt's All-American. John Jenkins just missed a three, and I forgot the guard's name for Wisconsin, but they're All-America, All-Big Ten guard, hit a big three. And, you know, you, you, you play that game ten times, maybe it's 5-5 five, five down the stretch. You win that game, you go to the Sweet 16. So, um, but, uh, yeah, Vanderbilt played a lot of fun basketball under Kevin Stallings. Yeah, they, they were always fun to watch, that's for sure. Other than that one little spell, uh, they, they usually were not a boring team to watch. But, Let's see, two more. Five Star Door says, I know you claim you're not an X's and O guy. Well, Five Star Door, you need to listen because Mitch has become an X's and O's expert in the last two weeks. Yes. Um, and, and gotten the according pay raise here at the podcast. Uh, but what do you think of Vandy using a zone defense to limit its paint touches? You mean it's opposing paint touches? Um, I, I would presume, yes. Yeah, um, yeah, I think, you know, he, there's been a little bit of zone last couple, maybe game or two. Um, trying to think, yeah, th- that can, it just it depends on the opponent, the opponent's strength. I mean, one thing I'll say about Jay Stackhouse, I think he's, a, he's he knows his basketball. He's a good, good enough X's and O's coach. I don't think, you know, I think it's a, for the most part, a well coached team. And I'm not going to sit here and say, um, you know, what I would do that much differently. Uh, I was, I'm always, always a big fan just as, as a basketball observer and, and fan of the sport of changing defenses a lot, um, mixing things up and, and kind of trying to keep the offense off balance and stuff. So I, I'm, you know, some people are like, Oh, don't play zone or, you know, whatever. I, I, I like mixing up defenses and, you know, when you're lacking size inside, um, you know, it's, it's harder to re- it's harder to rebound out of a zone. Everyone knows that. So that could become an issue there, but uh, I wouldn't be opposed to this team playing more zone. Yeah. I think, I mean, good. They don't have the players, to, so whatever they do is going to have limited impact. But they are having such an issue getting stops at the rim. No, again, they don't have a shot blocker behind there, so it's going to limit that. But just keeping guards out of the paint, doing anything you can do that would be a good start. Now, I think that they're going to have issues if they do that. In terms, they don't have a lot of perimeter quickness. Then you got to get out on threes and close out on those. But I mean, they're not defending the three well either. So I would say, given that you're not stopping either one, <laughs> at least try to stop one of the two. And I, I'm with you. I think I'd give it a try. Yeah. And this has always been a, uh, it's not specific to this team. And every, everyone always says, oh, Vanderbilt can never stop those quick point guards. Well, very few teams can stop those quick point guards. That's why they're really good. You know, Saban Lee, that's what he, Vanderbilt finally had one of their own, uh, a guy who could get anywhere on the court. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's basically what, like in football, if you can, you know, if you can run the ball, then you can, it opens up the passing game in, in, in basketball. If you can get into the lane, it opens up everything else for your, uh, you know, for your offense. So that is obviously um, a problem, but it's more so a problem with this team than it has been in recent years. The last question comes from Theodore eight. Has Jerry Stackhouse blocked you on Twitter yet? And more seriously, what do you make of Stackhouse getting into it with fans on social media? Is his job in jeopardy despite reportedly having four years of buyout left on his contract? 
Let me, um, let me clarify I, one thing. We don't know what the buyout is. We do know he has four years left on the contract. Uh, so that's just a small point right, of clarification. But, I mean, you would presume they owe him a big amount for him to go unless he just moves on. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I have not been blocked by Jerry Stackhouse, but I don't really tweet much uh, about stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I think it's unacceptable that for him. You know, he should be above that, first of all. Um, you have to have thick skin, and, and you don't need to be spending your time uh, criticizing fans on social media, whether privately or in a public forum. So I think he probably knows that. And I'm sure he was told that. So, um, yeah, I don't know what the future is. Is You know, we all know that he's – Likes the NBA, wants to coach in the NBA at some point. Does he swallow his pride at the end of this year and say, I just, you know what, this isn't for me. I want to be an NBA assistant. Or does he say, you know what, I want to, I'm not leaving under these terms because I think I can win more games. So, you know, we don't know. And I think you said with the buyout, the buyout is definitely different than the years left on the contract. There's, um, so, you know, I, I'm intrigued what will happen, obviously, but we'll see. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, 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 he's got a decision to make and Vanderbilt has a decision to make about the future of the program. Mitch, that's all from the mailbag. I want to give you the floor as we close to mention anything we didn't bring up that's worth discussion, to give out your social media accounts, and of course to tell us about anything that's around the corner at The Athletic that might be of interest to our listening audience. I'm at Mitch Light on Twitter and not blocked by any Vanderbilt coaches that I am aware of. Um, and that's basically it. I know, uh, coming up, I know Joe is going to be, Rexwood's going to be spending some time doing something with Barton Simmons and, and the, the recruiting staff there. And by the way, I just, uh, saw Vanderbilt tweeted out that they, uh, Barton Simmons retweeted this, that they hired, I remember this, but Gerald Smoke Dixon is the uh, director of scouting, played at Alabama, uh, played for the Buffalo Bills for a while. So they've added some of their, to Barton staff there. So, but I'm sure you'll have more information on that. The, the press release was just sent. All right, Mitch, uh, thanks for joining us. We will catch you next week. Sounds good, Chris. Take care. You bet. He's Mitch Light of The Athletic. I'm Chris Lee of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We will try to have one more of these coming this week. If not, we will catch you again next week.